So I am not Jason Broadwater, and I am not currently live at Millstone Pizza. I'm just here to let you know that this is the second half of our interview with filmmaker and photographer Jeff Howlett. Uh, if you missed the first half, then go back to last week's episode and check that out there. Thanks for listening. experience success with a, pa a passion-based project, which everybody out there that I know of, that I see, that I encounter, I mean, I think it's almost indicative of kind of the, the new generation, so to speak, is that you have passion projects going on. You're a photographer on the side, you know, like you, you I mean, you're, you're an IT guy in a marketing company. No, you're not. You're a tin-type photographer. No, you're not. You're a documentary. You know what I mean? It's like you do the things that you're interested in, and some of them pay, some of them don't, whatever, and you, 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 you craft your life as an artisan almost. And I think that's kind of an increasingly uh, idealized and, and achievable experience for a lot of people in, in daily life. And so not only do you have that, um, but I'm particularly interested in uh, the musical part because you've talked about being in bands. So I want to transition here and talk about some of your music upbringing and your bands and such because to me, I mean, I grew up in, I've been in punk bands since I was 12 years old. So like, and I'm 40. So... Like I, you know, I loved the early California punk. I loved uh, DC punk, you know, and I and I kind of had my kind of perspective around the timeline of punk and all that, and and that was what was so magical. To I mean, before I got caught up in in the actual people and got humanized real quick with the story, but before that, my captivation towards the story was when I learned that it that it had an impact on my perception of the history of punk rock. It like. I was like, dude, I have to watch this movie. You know? So I'm curious about your participation in the history of punk rock. Like, where did you grow up? What did you listen to? What did you play in? Yeah, so, I mean, growing up, I started when I was 12 years old. I was in a, my first band. We were playing, like, really, I don't know. <laughs> we were playing rock and roll, I guess. Uh, we did some Leonard Skinner stuff. We did some Free. We did, you know, bands like, you know, classic rock stuff. Yeah, were you in Vermont? This is uh, in Waynesboro, Virginia, so that's where I grew up. Yeah, so I grew up in Waynesboro, Virginia, and then, so from that band I got into, as you mentioned before, the punk rock stuff, I got into like some punk rock uh, band when I was like 15 years old, and that's when I started like really, you know, diving deep more in the punk rock stuff, more of the DC scene. Now what year would this have been in? Uh, so this is, let's see, that would be, so, 15, so 85. Okay. Or so, so yeah, '85. I was in, I was doing punk rock. Okay. And um, and where, where were you? I'm sorry. You so south of DC, okay, yeah. uh, Waynesboro, Virginia. It's a oh, small wow. town. Do you know Moss Icon? Mike. Moss Icon. Moss Icon. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they were on, uh, not on Discord, but like an outlier record yeah. label back then. Yeah. The Hated was on the same record label. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, anyway, I don't mean to distract you. Yeah. Keep, keep going, keep going, keep going. Um, so yeah, I, I, was in, I was in a band then. Um, we played this band called The Landlords. I don't know if you ever heard of them. They play, they uh, recorded with uh, Ian MacKay and whatnot. Uh, Minor Threat. Uh, so were you in that scene? Were you listening what? to Minor Threat? Did you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, like okay. we actually, I think we did. Uh, we did the song Stumped, oh, which yeah. was on a seven inch. You know, while well, I was on the on the 
discography later on, but you know. But that was happening back, while back then, you were you playing. Had the seven inch, and on the back of it's there's Henry Rollins, a picture of Henry Rollins in the crowd and everything like that. Um, you know, a minor threat. But um, yeah, um, that's kind of like how I got into punk rock. Okay. So it was kind of from a fan perspective, but also like musically speaking, I was singing i was actually singing and playing bass in a band so we we played a, a few shows basement shows nothing nothing really substantial yeah. like the more musical stuff that i got into was more in vermont where i actually like started playing out started actually making records okay. made a seven inch uh you know first band i was in up there in uh, 93 was called epitaph and we did a seven inch one of the guys now that was playing bass is uh, the singer for this band called Gogo Bordello is oh, like wow. a um, gypsy punk band. They're kind of yeah. pretty much. What were y'all? Were y'all kind of gypsy punk? No, we were like, I don't know, man. We were like 80s metal. Oh, <laughs> it's really? kind of funny because yeah. he, like, I remember meeting Eugene. His name's Eugene Nikolaev or Hutz as he goes by now. And uh, I remember going to his house and uh, basically, you know, saying, hey, is, is Eugene here? And, and getting him to. You know, listen to this music, and he and he hadn't really played in any bands before, and uh, so he said, "Well, I play bass a little." You know, he played some bass, and uh, uh, you know, we both listen to the same kind of music and stuff, so we really vibed on that. And I know we hit it off with Bad Brains and stuff. And he's in Wrist Cutters. He's in a movie. What's that? He's in the movie Wrist Cutters. Yeah, he's in a, he's yeah. in a few few films. Everything's Illuminated, that one, and a few other. Anyway, I so. Um, you know, we hit it off and got him to be uh, the bass player in our band. So that was kind of the first band he was in. And then he went on to other bands sort of after that and formed his own band. That's too cool, man. Um, yeah. but, but, but then after that, so that was pretty quick. And, and uh, after that, I was in a band called Slush. And we changed our name to Five Seconds Expired. We got signed on Another Planet Records, which was Profile Records at the time out in okay. New York City. Um, we put a... Well, first of all, we put our own uh, uh, albums out. We put a cassette out. We did the, you know, all the artwork ourselves and all by hand. And then we did the, you know, uh, uh, CD and we did all the art ourselves and just sort of DIY. And then we got to a point where we were getting, you know, we were getting some people to our shows. And so, you know, Record label saw that we did a record label showcase at uh, CMJ Music Festival, which is a you know music festival that's held in New York City every every year, um, and we got signed, you know, and so another planet put our record out. It's called Null, Five Seconds Expired Null, and uh, you know we were on the label with a band like called the Crow Mags, yeah. Leeway, a lot of the New York City hardcore bands, Murphy's Law. No way, oh um, my god, we used to love Murphy's Law. Man. We, we would chug Milwaukee's Best and oh drink yeah, the Murphy's drink, Law. Yeah. Dude, yeah, we yeah. Used to, they so were a drinking band. They, they're wild, Holy so cow. we played, so Jimmy, the singer, he actually had us play at his club up in New York. Oh yeah. Um, and he, he was a cool guy, like we, we played with them once. And were were they as debaucherous as their albums proclaimed? They He's were? actually, when you, when you sit down with Jimmy and just talk to him he's just like we're talking right now I mean he's, he's just so low-key but fun. he's just a different animal you know yeah. it's like a lot of us when we get out on stage it's like it's a whole different oh, animal yeah. when you jump into it you know yeah. I mean John Joseph with Cro-Mags he got here's sort of a link between 
him and um, uh, Eugene and, and myself actually we're both you know Bad Brains fans oh, right, yeah. John is too I was at uh, Bad Brains actually the closing of CBGB's uh, in New York because my band played there several times so I wanted to pay my respects so I just happened to be there for work for my IT stuff and I saw John and he said hey come over here he's like here's my badge you know they were sold this thing was sold out for months he's like here's my oh, here's my bed you know go in have a great time and and, and that's awesome man. and you so, remember but I saw Eugene there oh, so it was cool. like it was like a, a full circle you know what yeah. I mean so years later but anyway do you remember ABC Norea yeah, absolutely. Man, that was, my, did you I play played there. there yeah, That's awesome. yeah. When I was fourteen, dude. That's awesome. Yeah, in Spanish Harlem, I went up there. My band was on tour. My band was called Tonka. Okay. And we cool. um, we were touring with um, a band. God, I can't remember. They're from Connecticut. Uh, I can't remember. They became. They were. They sounded so much like Jawbreaker, and oh, okay. everybody called them Jawbreaker, and they got on their yeah. nerves and that whole thing. But what I, was but it they were. Sack, was it? No, 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 no. I can't no. remember. Um, I always it, every time I try to think of their name, I think the name Sunny Day Real Estate. It wasn't them, it of wasn't course. Them. It was. Um, some name that kind of sounds like that, but anyway. Oh, okay, cool. But anyway, we so we played uh, ABC in Rio, and yeah. um, I went back to New York with my wife like a few years ago, and um, when I was I'm 40 now, yeah. And I went back. It was more than a few years. It was six years ago. It was the 20 year anniversary of me playing at ABC in Rio, and I oh stood in God. front of the club, and we got pictures and stuff. <laughs> and I'm thinking, awesome. good God, man, that's crazy. Wow. So that it's place still was around. It was there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was still had a sign. Yeah. And, uh, but did you ever play there or hang out no, there? No, we never did that. We did, um, so we did um, Jimmy's Club, and we did uh, CBGB's several times. Um, oh, shoot, what was the place we showcased them? Gosh, I can't remember now. I'd have to look back and yeah, see. No, I hear you, I hear you. But, um, yeah, mainly CB's and um, Coney Allen High was Jimmy's Club. That's cool. It was, um, you know... Right in the Lower East Side, there. That was a oh man, that was a that was a cool club. That was a very cool club. It didn't last for too long, but it was a cool. In the '90s, well, yeah, it was like it was a really all happening this sounds spot. super cool to me, dude. Yeah. I, I remember driving by CBGB's and us being like, okay, so we're not playing there. <laughs> and we're apparently playing at this other place, and we kept driving, kept driving, and then we're we're like, holy cow, where are we, dude? Yeah. And we're like, this is where we're playing. Yeah. So, no, but that's it, a cool spot. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And and actually, it's changed so much. Oh, yeah. It's been gentrified so many ways. Exactly. And actually, across the street from it was a little dress shop that my wife was like, oh, killer, I'm gonna go in here and check it out. Dude, the dresses, there was like eight dresses in the whole place, yeah. that's it. And they're all like $8,000 a piece, you know? It's like, what, really? Oh Sounds like my <laughs> kind of store. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, every time I see Chris, he's in an $8,000 dress. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, take, I'll take dress number five. <laughs> so man, you know, to me, um, I see a lot of this um, in, the, in the kind of changing world, mm -hmm. you know? You're an outlier, man, because you're older. Mm -hmm. How, you're over 40, right? Yes. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, I'm 40, and, I'm, and, and, and the stories you're telling, you said you were like 15 and 85 yeah. or something. So, yeah, so yeah. you're older than 46. I am. 46. So, so the idea that like you've kind of led this life all along the way, do you find that um, it was much more... Um, I don't know what I'm trying to say, like, not not that it's not that that lifestyle has come to the mainstream in a superficial sense, like, not like, oh yeah, punk, you know, Green Day got discovered. I don't mean that. Like, I mean that the the kind of the the romanticizing the kind of chill artisan lifestyle 
has become much more accepted in, in the world, it seems like. Does that make sense to you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we get old. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> but but our, the, our music taste doesn't change, right? right? I mean, yeah. there's there's punk, punk rock bands that I'll always go back and listen to. You know, it's it's how we grew up. It's like if, you know, if you were in the... You know, in the 60s growing up, you know, your music would probably be, you know, Jefferson Airplane or Grateful Dead or, you know, or, or whatever was popular at the time or, you know, so it's kind of what our generation was listening to, you know, and, and so, you know, that's interesting because I look at, I, like, I, I was a teenager when, like, Nirvana was massive. And so for me, punk was like, and I mean, I played in punk bands for years or pop punk bands for years. And like for me, punk was like my endpoint was like no effects and like fat records and like my favorite punk band of all time is probably the descendants. And you know, and they're singing like super catchy songs about girls and being a nerd. And to me that was punk. And like because I was I missed out on the the idea of punk as like true counterculture of like you have like the brainwashed masses and then you have the response to that which is like once again feels like truth you know well see i came in when kurt cobain was being sold at the mall and so to me punk was kind of just another thing that was another social choice right. and almost like a pressure of like another thing that's cool um and I, I had very little access to anything outside of punk being anything but cool so when it comes to like like i said i was now i was part of the like ridiculous like sort of third wave emo, Midwest emo thing that happened or whatever. And that seemed counterculture to me because that was all about saying guys are sensitive or something, I don't know, which at the time made sense as counterculture. But um, it's funny how I think once you get to Nirvana and once you get to the early 90s, punk doesn't mean the same thing. And I'm not saying it's dead. That's not what I'm saying. But it's funny how it kind of folds in on itself and it's kind of like, well, it's commercialized. And it's like, but no, you can't actually commercialize anti-commercialism. So it, it sprouts up in these weird ways. And I think ever since the early 90s, we're kind of on these like, I know it's very the reason why The reason why I never think that is a um, kind of a punk is dead thing, and I agree with you that, that you can never say punk is dead. The reason why is because the filter on Instagram didn't kill tintype photography. It actually rebirthed it. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there was no tintype photography, like, when people were just taking pictures with normal cameras. All of a sudden, everybody's taking a picture with their phone. Everybody becomes a photographer. Everybody has an old-school filter. And then you have these people rise up, like, no, 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 you don't know what old-school filter is, dude. I've got a hood and an exploding, uh, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, you don't know what old-school is. Right. And so that artisan culture, I think, is almost a reaction to this kind of normalization of... Um, of subcultures through the internet. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. But either way, like the thing comes about, like it all comes down to like truth. Like I said, I mean, the idea that of ultimately, because it's so hard. Like there was a time when punk maybe resembled more. It, we reach a point where obviously no effects is like you know kill hippies or whatever you know. But like, or, or we hate hippies. But it, it almost came out of the counterculture of hippies. Like it almost kind of changed shape and it was close. It had has. It's related more to than to. It has more to do with that than boy bands now spiking their hair and looking like Johnny Rotten. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's a sort of superficial idea of punk when I think, to me, and I know that's punk is one of those words, it means a different thing to, to everybody, but to me it means that's why, to bring it all around, and the documentary, how you have him, like, the, the David character that's like, no, I have this thing I believe in, you can't change it. I don't care if Clive Davis tells me, I, I'm not going to change it. Like, that, the ability to, like, 
to either know something or not have any clue, but either way, say like, this is what I feel, this is where my heart points, and I'm not gonna stray. And like, to me, that's kind of what punk is, you know? I mean, and it's not, it's not uh, hair gel or, or whatever, you know, boots, you know? No, it's, it's a strong, you know, I mean, back in the 80s, it was a very strong statement, you know, and a lot of it had to do with the government that we were living under, you know, it was a, a Reagan era, you know, and a lot of the bands that came out of that era were all, you know, it's about anti-government, you know, and some Kill of those songs, that, you know, I mean, <laughs> right. there's there's just a lot of, you know, different undertones, but, you know, it all reflects on being an individual, like you were saying before it. It, 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 but it makes that statement, you know, this this is our anchor in the sand, like, this is who we are. We are punk rock, you know, that's kind of like the flag we carry, you know, and it's like, and it's, you know, and it varies. It could mean, punk can mean different to whoever, like, I mean, now it's getting so I don't even know what it means anymore, to be honest with you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I play, you know, when people ask me what kind of music I play, I say, it's loud. Yeah. You know, it's like loud, aggressive music. That's what I like. You know, I don't even say it's punk rock or, right. you know, it's heavy metal or it's this or that. You know, it's like, I like loud music. You know, that's pretty much the extent of it. Speaking you know? of, I got to go back. You said in Vermont you were playing 80s metal when you first got there. Yeah. So are we talking about like, like early Motley Crue, like more going to yeah, mix of Motley Crue mixed with like heavy Metallica. Okay. <laughs> it was like or, or early, like that that you know like Ride the Lightning yeah. kind of stuff maybe. Okay. Sort of in a weird way. It was kind of cheesy to be honest, <laughs> but um, you know it, Did it, it have was the punk attitude. Like I I, I tend to romanticize that kind of. Oh, absolutely. Like, to I, me, I, punk was never a sound. I mean, I could go to a punk no. show, and all bands sound completely different. It didn't matter. No. It was an attitude. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's, and, you know, there's probably a million, you know, different examples of music like that, or bands that were, like, infused by yeah. heavier or punk, let's say, punk rock music. Um, I've always been attracted to that, because it's like, I don't have to, you know, do, okay, you got to do this time signature, you got to, right, yeah. you got to play these three chords. None of that stuff, you know. It's it's more like what do you feel? Yeah. It's like it's like what what emotes from the music, you know? What, and what are you talking about when you pick the microphone up? Yeah, you know, and and what that's all about. So, it's, have you ever it's, been into performance um, besides playing shows? It being a natural part of performance. Yeah. Um, no, never acting. You mean acting or no? Or any any no, kind of performance art that you would. Uh, one of my bands is pretty performance art esque. Oh really? I, I think yeah. We we did buddy. some interesting in, interesting stage shows. We were called Non Compos. We did a couple records you can find out on the interwebs. But yeah. Um, anyway, it was very loud, aggressive, very loud, aggressive music. So that's always but, fascinating um, to me. We got a buddy that works with us that he's in like four bands and each of them are something completely different you know what I mean and it's all a theater kind of theater experience thing, yeah. you know what I mean it's very cool So that's awesome well man oh, I um, cool. I, I could talk to you forever I know that uh, at some someday this war is going to end so um, yeah. but I you know it, it, I'm impressed that you um, you just seem to be a uh, creative soul and so you just you, you discovered something interesting so you decided to make a documentary you know, you, you wanted to play music because it was loud, so you just started a band. You know, like, that to me is the, uh, is what kind of DIY is all about. That's what punk rock was to me as a kid. It's how it informed my life. It, in, 
it inspired me. I mean, you know, when I decided to start a business, I just did it. I didn't think I have to be taught how to start a business. I just started a business because that's what you do. That's what Ian Mackay would have done. Right. You know what I mean? That's why I did it. So, so that is extremely inspiring to me, man. And the, and the documentary is called A Band Called Death. And um, it is, where is it? Where can people watch it? Well, if you just go to www.abandcalleddeath.com, you can see all the different outlets that have it. Uh, but Amazon Prime, you can you can get it or you can uh, download it from them. Uh, iTunes, uh, Hulu. Um, I know there's some other ones I'm forgetting too, some of the other channel stuff. But uh, if you just go to that website, you'll be able to, to find all the resources. Is there one uh, that affects you more? that you see more of? Um, it doesn't really matter at this point. <laughs> I'm not really... It's all zero I, I mean, from here. Yeah, it's all zero. I actually, you know, it's funny because it's like I I love for people to actually pick up the physical DVD. When somebody shows me the physical DVD, I think it's more of just like what I do as a photographer now and actually yeah. having something I can hold in my hand. When I shoot a photograph, I can hold it in my hand. Yeah. You know, when I pick up a movie, I like to feel the case. Yeah. I like to open it up and look at the artwork in it and, and like go through it. Or if I buy music, I buy a record. And you know, I like to look at the vinyl. What kind of vinyl are you using? Are you using one, you know, a lot of albums nowadays are all 180 gram, you know, they're nice heavy albums, you know, and um, you know, got really nice artwork, you know. It's like experience, it's like a piece physical. of art. Yeah, because yeah, that's what I miss for so long. Like even, even in what I do day to day, it's like, it's not that. Yeah. It's anti, like what I do is almost anti what I do for work. Man, so it's kind yeah. of. And I, and, I, and I know I'm supposed to be wrapping this podcast up, but I got to say this. In my consulting work, a lot of times around the millennial generation and how organizations kind of market to it, communicate with the millennial generation, one thing that is so missed by kind of the baby boom generation that's trying to figure out that puzzle is that the digital experience is ubiquitous to, to that crowd. So it's not, the internet is not impressive. I mean, you know, it's not. It's, it's normal. You know, like ubiquitous connectivity to 2.5 billion people around the world is just normal. <laughs> you know, all of human knowledge in my pocket right now is totally normal. So I don't think about it. And so I'm looking for some type of experiential, physical, interesting happening. You know, I want to go to a show where somebody's playing an acoustic guitar. I want to or a loud music. I want to pick up an album and touch it and smell it and feel it. You know, I want to build my own desk. You know, I think there's, like I've said earlier on, I think there is a great craving for um, for that which is not digital among the people where that have digital ubiquity. You know, I mean. So anyway, I, I'll, I'll kind of end philosophically on that statement, and I'll just say, uh, Jeff, it's been a pleasure, man. Absolutely. We're, we're admirers of your work. Um, we will post on, with this podcast um, links to your uh, website or anywhere if, some, if somebody wants to get in touch with you about your, your tintype photography and the movie and any of that stuff. But are there any kind of parting words or thoughts you might want to have for the audience? Um, for either of our two listeners? Right. <laughs> I just, uh, you know, appreciate you guys spending time and talking about my movie, you know, and talking about projects I'm involved in. You know, I mean, it's, it's always an honor for people to you know just enjoy you know what I've done and I as an artist because that's what I think it's all about like for me and that's what I want it to be about and for my children especially and that's what I strive every day to be able to provide for them so they can actually be 
hopefully an artist that yeah. they can live off their art yeah. you know that's yeah. that's what I strive for an authentic experience that actually pays right <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly I like it. hey man it's been a pleasure and um, Chris any last words here no thank you so much for coming on the show this is amazing this is an awesome show it was my favorite awesome and we will end with um, you know a wise summation of all that needs to be said from Silent Micah well said Silent Micah well said all right, I guess we'll see you guys next week on Old Town New World.